And so I would pray that you will anoint the words of this passage so that it may come to us anew, afresh. That we may discover in the familiar words something from yourself by your Holy Spirit. Because we ask in your name. Amen. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. Thank you, Father. Thank you. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the young plant come up, and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. And this is the word of the Lord. I'd like to pray for Ursula, if I may. Father God, we know that our prayers for Ursula 
will be granted because she has done her homework. But Lord, now we ask that you will anoint what she is to say by your Holy Spirit. And indeed, if at any time you want to give her something new, as she's speaking, may she have freedom to speak what you give her. Lord, give her joy in proclaiming your word and confidence. And we bless you for her and her ministry. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. I promised Simon I wouldn't jiggle the thing anymore and ask if you could hear me. (laughs) So I won't. But I'm trusting you can hear me. That's an amazing chapter, isn't it? And there's so much in it that we could meditate on and dwell on and feed on. And I'm conscious that I'm only skimming the surface of it this morning. Listening to the news reports recently of the various party political conferences, it struck me how this chapter sounds like a manifesto. A manifesto is a published declaration of intent, of motives and views. If Jesus published a manifesto, would it contain much that is in this chapter? I think it probably would. And Luke 4 recounts, doesn't it, the scene in the synagogue centuries later where Jesus reads these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Luke tells us that after reading those verses, Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. It's done. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And this picture in the chapter of Isaiah we've just heard continues to vividly paint a representation of Christ's ministry. To provide for those who grieve. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. A few weeks ago, Peter reminded us that it's Jesus who builds his church. We cooperate with him in the building process. We are called to make disciples. And in the verses of this chapter, we have a poignant portrait of the church and of Jesus' ministry. It's noticeable, isn't it, how the qualities of the head of an organization are so often reflected by and help shape its ethos. An organizational group will often develop similar characteristics to its leader, will develop a group speak, have similar goals and ambitions, identify with its leadership. We pattern ourselves on influential others, don't we, those we admire or even those we're fearful of. And of course, if the leadership is healthy and wholesome, these qualities that repeat themselves within the organizational structure bring cohesion and a sense of common purpose and vision. And here, 
In this chapter of Isaiah, we read the qualities that Jesus was to imbue into an organization. But it's so much more than an organization. In fact, I don't think it is an organization. It's the bride, his bride, that he builds. Qualities such as freedom, comfort, joy, beauty, healing, praise. Each verse is heavy with the ministries which Jesus brings to his church and which he offers through us to our broken world. And of course, his church isn't an organization, is it? Even though at times we may think of it as such, or we might behave as such, or we even try to manipulate and manipulate it and control it as such. No. His church is a living community of believers gathered together throughout time and place, set apart to become the bride of Christ. Left to our own devices, I'm certain we could not reflect the qualities of Jesus to our friends and neighbours. When we reach out in our human strength, we pattern ourselves on the ways of the world. We reflect an exclusiveness that doesn't welcome others. We speak in language that isn't understood. And all too often we fail miserably when we try to build church in our human strength. And so often the basest qualities of human nature emerge. And we build a church that I'm not sure anyone would want to join. But here, in this chapter, are the keys to turn human exclusivity and human building into the open, welcoming hearts, the keys to build, the keys to open the way of salvation. As Isaiah continues in verse 2, Jesus comes, he said in Luke, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. There are two promises contained in this, the words of this phrase, the year of the Lord's favour. The first is of a year of jubilee, the season for the Jewish people when debts were forgiven and family lands were restored and oppression was brought to an end. The second promise is to us, believers, who are brought into the new covenant and are given an inheritance in an eternal kingdom. As Billy Graham so loudly proclaimed, until Jesus returns, we are living in the year of the Lord's favour because Christ died and rose again for our sins. Salvation by grace through faith is now available to everyone who repents and believes in his atoning work on the cross. Sometimes, when we think of favour, we think we can earn it, or we think we repay it favour for favour. But that's not a translation that faithfully reflects the meaning here. The original Hebrew word, that's normally used and rendered favour is a favour graciously given, not one that's been earned. A closer translation would be grace. To proclaim the year of the Lord's generous grace. What we couldn't do for ourselves has been done by Christ for us. I'm expecting Jenny to say hallelujah there. <laughs> No wonder this chapter closes with ringing praises. Hope. I sometimes think it's the currency of our times. We have the lottery, we have politicians, we have house builders, 
We have all sorts of people promising that life, that things can be different. If we buy this, follow that, vote for this, there is hope for a different life. They say as they peddle their particular brand, band of hope. And the temptation to join in is huge, isn't it? Last week was absolutely awful at work. By Friday, I didn't want to go in. On the drive there, I daydreamed. Maybe I'd win the lottery. Well, that would be difficult because I don't do it. (laughs) But then I could pin a note on the door saying, gone away, not coming back. But then the penny dropped. I'd been caught up by one of the spirits of our age that peddles false hope. And then at last I turned to prayer, the place I should have started in and not arrived at after an hour of fretting. Because Titus 2 verse 13 tells us our hope is of a different order. That while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, we can trust in him and him alone. Because our hope is in Christ, we have a relationship with him. We can bring our day-to-day problems to him in prayer and then rest securely knowing that we have been heard. And so we reach the final aspect of this passage that I'd like to draw on. We read in verse 4, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, so that we will display his splendor. It's an awesome thing, isn't it, that we, us, the motley crew gathered here, are to display the splendor of our Lord. Think of the splendor we see all around us in creation, in the universe. And sometimes we can think that we are poor relations. But no, we are called to display his splendor. Despite all the trials and tribulations that dog us as we journey through life, we are his splendor. When Peter asked if I would preach this morning, he also said that there wasn't a set passage So I would be free to choose any passage from the Bible to preach on. So why this passage? Why Isaiah 61? I don't know if it's the same for you, but I've found over the years that there are a few verses and chapters from the Bible that run like a thread throughout my life, that speak to me at different times and places. They grow with me. I see fresh meaning and wisdom in them every time I return to them. They take center stage quite unexpectedly at different times and speak directly into my situation. Verses I keep being drawn back to or that pop into my mind at just the right time. For me, Isaiah 61 is one of those passages. Oaks of Righteousness an image of discipleship, planted as young saplings or seeds, not as mature trees, then growing into mature, majestic oaks. The imagery of trees is rich, isn't it? They provide shelter, food, fuel. They give us an ecosystem without which life on earth couldn't exist. 
without the great forests acting as giant lungs to clean our air. George MacLeod, the founder of the Iona community, talked of thin spaces. Spaces and times, places, where we sense with deeper measure the spirit of God. Many years ago, I was walking our dog in Woodland. It must have been about this time of year because there were autumn leaves on the ground and leaves still on the trees, and the sunlight was being filtered into beams of light hitting the ground. Suddenly, I felt I was walking on holy ground, walking through a cathedral of oaks, walking through a thin place. I remembered the people of God who throughout the years had watched over me, listened, cared, given their time, and shared their gifts with me. And I sensed the Holy Spirit prompting me. This is what I call my believers to, to grow into oaks of righteousness, to be planted by me, and then to nurture others so they grow strong and tall. But fast forward a couple of years to another time and another picture. I was traveling home from spring harvest. It's been going a long time. (laughs) I'd gone for one reason only, to hear from God, to hear him say one phrase, I'm still here. Church life had become a hugely destructive storm and it had left me battered and bruised. I wondered if I was so dead spiritually, was so bereft of the sense of his presence, that if I was even a Christian, and was all the effort worth it. I was met with silence, all week, nothing. I cried, I prayed, I went forward for ministry. I even did, if I open my Bible and put my finger on a verse, then will you speak to me, Lord? It didn't work. I determinedly joined in the worship and I went to the Bible studies and I listened to some of the mighty oaks preach. Nothing. Zilch. Had God forgotten me? Does he care? The passage tells us he cares. Over and over again, he cares. So much that he gave his son for our salvation. But our timing is not his. Sometimes he waits. Waits for us to come to the end of ourselves before he speaks. Waits for the right time. As we drove home, I was feeling very sorry for myself. And then I saw in my mind's eye a picture, so clear it seemed to really exist. It was a seedling cupped into an enormous hand. The trees not dead, buried deep inside the shattered remains left by the great storm of my life, the tree was alive and was sprouting again. That's you, I sensed a voice say. Now you've realized that only I am the master builder. We can start over and I will nurture and protect you in the palm of my hand. Unexpectedly, I sensed a release from the church where I'd been a member for many, many years. And so it was in that disheveled and disorientated state I turned up at Christchurch. But when I came to Christchurch, 
over 20 years ago. This was a hurting church, rocked by scandal. But it was in this place, in the midst of all the pain and emotion reeling round the congregation, that I found peace and healing and restoration. In this church community, I recognised in my spirit that this was a thin place, a place where folk met with God, a place where the ministries of Isaiah 61 operated, a place where oaks had been planted. And thus I was nurtured, yes, in the much bigger hand of God, but also in the hands of fellow travellers on the road. And many of you are here this morning. Travellers who brought comfort and freedom and hope and wisdom. And so, the Bible tells us, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, both here and in eternity. And it's in this setting we're called to nurture our young in the faith. And those who despair. And those who need comfort. And many other things. Do numbers matter? Listen in to some conversations at clergy gatherings and you would think that's all that matters. The number of times I've had a conversation which starts, and how many? How big? How many folk? And as we've sadly seen over recent years, it's numbers that organisations worry about. That's how they measure success. The number that comes through the doors, the number that sit on the seats but we aren't called to be bean counters. We are called to cooperate with Jesus as he builds his church. Sometimes I've wondered if there's a critical mass, a number of people that unless we reach it, the church won't function. But we're told in Matthew 18:20 that where two or three are there are, if we gather in his name, there he is. There our Lord is in the midst. God doesn't play the numbers game. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says, So Christ gave himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We are called to see the fivefold ministries function in our midst so that this body of Christ that meets here in this place will be built up. We're called to seek our loving Father's face, to know what gifts he has given each one of us. We're called to recognize and train and release the evangelists in our congregation, to release people who have a vision to plant and nurture to release those who can stand on a mountaintop and see the road ahead or stand on the walls and be watchmen in prayer and to release those who teach, those who disciple others and those who pastor, those who care as Jesus cares. Each of us will have our part and each of us are called to model hope to our colleagues and friends and neighbours as well as to each other. And thus, in a Holy Spirit-led symphony of cooperation with Jesus and each other, 
as Matthew 16, verse 18 tells us, Jesus will build his church. Amen.